In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place, where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. So Lucas, I recently got the chance to interview Alex Milas about some Viking music. Yes, I remember listening to that episode about a year ago. That's the one where you chat about uh, Viking music and also Ward Runer, isn't it? Yeah, but this time we are talking about an entirely different kind of Viking music. We're talking about the band Amon Amarth, who are heavy metal musicians inspired by the Viking Age. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I can't wait to hear a bit more. And with that, here is my interview with Alex Milas. So I guess we should start by having you introduce yourself. Our, our listenership has grown quite a lot in the last year. So if you wouldn't mind just telling us who you are. Hello. Well, my name's Alexander Milas. Yeah, so pleased to hear that you know there are new ears out there picking up this great podcast because it involves so many of my favorite things. Because I think in many ways, the appeal, I think, of Viking history and whatever else is so broad now and so interesting. The way that I came into it all was I was formerly an archaeologist. And then ended up becoming a writer for Kerrang! And then the editor of Metal Hammer magazine for about 10 years, where I came to know a great many bands that love all this stuff. And so it was almost like worlds colliding, you know, um, just the past, the present, music, culture, all those things. And so I guess you could say I do a lot of work in the Viking world these days. Um, I have I have my own production company. I do other things like a, I do a space festival uh, with the European Space Agency. We do the World Metal Congress celebrating the global impact of heavy metal, but we also work very closely with York and Jorvik occasionally uh, because some of the bands that I do a lot of this work with, well, I mean, there's no better way to describe it other than they're basically Viking bands. Yeah, that's amazing. So you have a project that has just come out by the time our listeners are are hearing this. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So it's a really interesting one. So probably, well, not probably, most definitely one of the biggest bands in the world that uh, sort of crosses over into this world is Amon Amarth, you know, a, a Viking death metal band who I have a, uh, you could say, a pretty lovely working relationship with. They're great people, they're great friends. And I came to know them when I was at Metal Hammer because I was so startled by just how popular this unlikely group of guys was. You know, not that the music was bad, but it's just, it's so niche. It's like it's Viking-themed death metal. I mean, they, they literally, everything that Amon Marth do is about what it was like to be a Viking, what the Vikings did, and they're gods. And and it's just such an incredible thing to see so many people responding to that. And so I began to ask deeper questions about why that was. And so a great editorial fount of interest. And since then, I've made a documentary about them called The Pursuit of Vikings, directed by Phil Wallace. We've done music videos with them. You know, well, the first one is uh, Shield Wall, which we shot up at Wallen in Poland, where they have an enormous annual Viking festival. And by the time this airs, there is a brand new video which I produced, directed by Ryan McFall. It's called Put Your Back Into the Oar. And well, it's a it's a pretty epic looking video. And uh, well, it's all about longships. That sounds absolutely amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind this video and about the, the song itself? Yeah, well, you know, it's pretty cool. You know, look, I mean, anytime that you say the word Viking, um, you're 
probably going to think about two or three things, you know, um, because the iconography is always so striking. And, and one of those, I think, is always going to be a longboat, you know, and I think anyone that knows anything about these remarkable vessels knows that they were more than just vehicles. Um, they were also works of art in their own right. And uh, there's quite a fascinating art history dimension to it all, you know, just like as you see the evolution of these these things. But from an engineering perspective, absolutely extraordinary achievements, you know, for their time or indeed for any time. And if you look at like the whole, you know, just the symmetry of the beams and everything else, it just, it doesn't even seem possible that um, they were made out of wood, you know, because it, it just looks so impossibly perfect, you know. And I, I think that it's interesting because it breaks down this perception of Vikings as, you know, just like the sort of like the savage raiders that obviously, you know, stories written by, you know, usually the, the people who they, they raided versus anything else. And it, it's not to dismiss any of that, but I think it's interesting because it introduces the concept of Vikings as something other than just that, you know, engineers, tradespeople, craftsmen, and also as artists with something to say. So the Viking longboat is central to this, uh, this video, um, put your back into the oar, but there's something else about it as well, because as anybody who knows Amon Amarth or has ever been to a show knows, a little tradition began at Bloodstock Festival over in Derby, probably five or six years ago, maybe beyond that, where if you ever went to a metal show, you know that people like to mosh. <laughs> they like to throw horns, yes. you know, um, sometimes spill beer, all that kind of thing. Something began happening at Bloodstock where the, the fans sat down and they began doing air rowing, right? Oh my gosh. Where they basically, they'd sit on the ground and just sort of row in sync, which is an incredible thing. And, and there's an element of that in this video, just because I think that, well, to be honest, it's a really good song to air row to. But what's awesome about the Amon Amar thing is, is that I was at an anthrax show like at Wembley Arena. And people started doing it there too. It's just a thing now. It's 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 bigger than just a Monomarth fans. It's just it's just a really funny thing that people do in the middle of shows. You know, like rain or shine. You know, mud or hard ground. It it, it just happens, and it's absolutely hilarious. That's amazing. Anytime I go to the gym, I always like do the rowing machine. So now I'm glad I found like the soundtrack to that from now on. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's cool because it's an awesome song video um you know involves everything from a a battle uh which was shot down in camber sands to a, a viking longhouse and and everything else and i want to give anything away because i'd really like people to go and watch it and enjoy yeah, it of course. but what was really interesting was we actually had a tremendous amount of extras from the U flag vikings i guess you you wouldn't want to call them reenactors because they actually live it there's nothing they're reenacting for all intents and purposes, they are Vikings, but they also were the, well, they participated in some of the action. And uh, I mean, it was just so good and so cool to watch. I mean, these are people that routinely appear in the Vikings on History Channel, um, The Last Kingdom, and so on. And, uh, you know, the last time we did a video with the Monomarch uh, called Shieldwall, well, we had two YouTube comments that were most common. One of them was, well, this is awesome because like these costumes are like more realistic than what you see on TV. And it's like, well, <laughs> well, we know. <laughs> I would hope so, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because it, it didn't come out of a costume department. This is stuff that has been crafted and carefully kind of, you know, summoned, you know, from, from this time, which is cool. The other thing that we always get about the shield wall video is um, everyone goes like, yeah, that guy has braces. You know, that's not accurate at all. You know, ridiculous. And it's like, no, no, those aren't braces. He tattooed his teeth. What? Yes. Uh, in the archaeological record, apparently some of these possibly berserkers, of course, because it's a very murky history around berserkers, you know, and nobody self-described themselves as berserkers. But it seems that that was something that was done maybe to induce pain, maybe to kind of just sort of always have this sub-level rage on tap. 
no one can really say, but yeah, it did happen. And so, well, this guy did the same and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. That's very hardcore. I love it. So you kind of got all of this different like Viking symbolism and things in, in the video and in the song itself. And I know that that is an influence that Amon Amarth uses quite a lot. And I know that there's a bit of discourse over how to kind of categorize the genre of music that they fall in. I think that sometimes they're referred to as death metal. Sometimes they're referred to as Viking metal. Do you think that they have a big overlap and that's why there's confusion or they are two totally different categories? Well, it, it's a really good question. You know, I mean, to take it out of the Amonimar thing, and you know, if we're going to talk about heavy metal, it's usually not long before I'll mention Iron Maiden because, well, I mean, I'm also the um, the editor of the uh, Iron Maiden fan club, and of course, I mean, possibly one of the biggest bands of all time, and they frequently kind of reject the definition even as a, a heavy metal band. You know, I mean, they'll say no, no, we're a rock band, you know, or they're included in this new wave of British heavy metal, which obviously they should be because they're 100 part of that history, and I, I don't think it's that they don't see themselves as part of that genre. My interpretation is, is that they seek not to be limited by it all. And in many ways, I think of Mon Amarth kind of, they follow that same pattern where they are such a law unto themselves. And what they have done is so astonishing and beyond what most bands have done that, yeah, you can call them a death metal band. You can call them like a Viking metal band or whatever else. But I think that what they're doing is so unique and they're so innovative and so many bands have followed in their wake that it's kind of like they're a genre of one. Because I just don't think anyone else can do it. It's like Robert De Niro playing Robert De Niro. You know, it, it's just something where it's it's this tautological thing where no one else can imitate that. You know, because one person has done it so well. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think you're right. And I think they're kind of paving the way for this genre of Viking metal, even if that's not necessarily how they might classify themselves, because I think they're serving as the inspiration to a lot of up and coming bands as well. Oh, yeah, unquestionably. You know, but, you know, it's also interesting how it all fits into the broader popular appeal of Vikings, the music, you know, what you see on TV, movies, all of these things, you know, and, and I wonder, I mean, this is just a like a pub conversation in a way. I wonder if more kids these days can identify Norse mythology and Norse gods than they can Roman or Greek ones. Because I grew up, you know, knowing all about, you know, Zeus and all these other things. But these days, I got a strong feeling that most kids probably know Loki and Thor way before anything else, which is pretty incredible when you consider that a band like Amon Amarth, when you talk to them about this fascination that they have, you know, they're from Sweden. And weirdly, I mean, kids over there, they don't necessarily grow up with Norse mythology. You expect to see all this Viking stuff over there, but no, no, they, they weren't exposed to it early on because uh, it is a post-Christian society, you know? And so a lot of that history and so on has not become part of the school's curriculum or whatever else. And so it's not that they've grown up with this culture necessarily and have chosen to then export it. They are equally fascinated as the rest of us are by who these people were and, and where they came from. That's so fun that, like you mentioned, that cultural shift, especially because every time I think that Vikings have reached the absolute peak of popularity, they continue to grow even more. There's like three movies coming out this year. There's new TV shows. There's there's all sorts of things coming out. And I'm just, I'm constantly so excited about all of these people discovering Vikings and Norse mythology for the very first time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and some really serious looking films as well. I think that uh, that Robert Eggers film, you know, the, the Northman, and if you're not familiar with his work, you know, with The Lighthouse or The Witch or whatever else, I mean, that is a bleak looking film. Yeah. You know, but I guess that speaks to the kind of like the endless fascination of Vikings, where I think that depending on the, the viewer, depending on the perspective that they have, or whatever else, it's like they kind of bring something to it. So Robert Eggers has, you know, chosen to tell what looks like a really startling you know, visually evocative kind of story. 
And then on the other hand, you have like, you know, Thor love and thunder on the yeah. other side of things, you know, casual Thor, you know, like basically dad bod Thor um, doing things with guards. I mean, which is also completely awesome, you know, but, yeah. but either way it feels like, gosh, we're so immersed in all this now. It's just kind of everywhere. But I think the reason is, is because it's not a historical fascination. It's not just about the past with Vikings. It's what they represent in this age, what's happening right now. I think to people, they represent freedom, perhaps a connection with nature. I think that we talked a little bit about this on the last podcast, because we're talking about another incredibly important band called Wardruna. Mm -hmm. The wonderful thing about Wardruna is it is more about animism and you know this sort of old world sorcery where you're connected to nature. That again, I think is the reason for its appeal, not because people are reenacting an imagined past, but because it has relevance to their everyday lives right now. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you bring up Wardruna. And I recently did an interview with another Viking inspired band called Nightland. And they're very kind of nature inspired and, and have this kind of different interpretation of the Viking mythology and like living with nature and everything. And there's still quote unquote Viking music like Amana Marthas. You've got two total different ends of the spectrum there in the way that the music sounds, you know, but they all have the same inspiration, which I think is is very interesting. Yes, it is kind of like that Robert Eggers versus Marvel Studios <laughs> yes. kind of thing. Yeah, um, there's kind of something for everyone. But what's most wonderful about it all is I think there's really something for kids, you know, yeah. because yeah. I mean, the, the, the world of Vikings is fascinating. It is dark, but it's also it's really fun. And I think that's a really cool thing, I think, is just that there's there's a lot to be learned from Vikings and they have a lot to say. You know, there's gosh, what would you call it? Is it, is it, is it history washing or whatever else? You can't take away the brutality of their history. What we have to acknowledge is, is that they were brutal times as well. And I think, you know, most people looking through history probably see it through the lenses of the storytellers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and unfortunately, I guess aside from the sagas, I mean, the Vikings just didn't write things down. And so as Einar from Wardruna has said repeatedly, it's basically the story of Vikings as told by English monks. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, isn't it just such a shame that we don't have more accounts of who they were and what they were like? I mean, they were unquestionably savage in so many ways, but also visionary. And I think the fact that they speak to us from over a thousand years ago uh, in this modern age, I think is just testament to just how powerful their legacy is, despite the fact that we don't have a library of Viking history where we don't know and we're still piecing together so much about who they were. Definitely. So back to Amanamarth. In their lyrics, they talk about Viking mythology and, and sagas and things like that quite a lot, but they use very modern instruments. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, well, I mean, the thing about them is it is death metal music. I mean, they're like, a you know, they're a Viking party band and you haven't really seen what they can do until you've seen them like headline Wacken Festival, you know, in Germany to like, you know, 80 or 100,000 people. And I mean, it's just a such a, an impressive thing to think that this incredibly niche thing can have this mass appeal. But it's just because the music is really good. It's, it's not just thematically what it is. It's just they're really good musicians and they're such brilliant performers, you know, I mean, to, to project energy into a space of that size is, is a rare talent, you know, and it doesn't come from anything other than literally decades of touring and knowing how to speak to a room. And I think that I would hate for them to be limited to that genre because clearly what they do is so much more than that. There's a much wider tapestry and reason for their appeal. I mean, when you go to metal gigs, one of the most important visual vocabularies is the t-shirts that people wear, right? And a lot of people will wear maiden shirts, but you know, you go to most metal festival these days and you will see a lot of people wearing a Monomarth shirt. You know, it's it's pretty incredible. However, anybody who knows anything about heavy metal knows 
the least cool thing you can do is wear the band's shirt to their own gig. No, you have to wear other heavy metal shirts to that gig, right? With two exceptions. Before it was one. The rule is, if it's Iron Maiden, you can wear an Iron Maiden shirt to that show. Okay. Although yeah. Amon Amarth fans, they've kind of got that too now. They wear Amon Amarth shirts to Amon Amarth shows. So it's kind of like a, an incredible thing that has happened there because that doesn't happen often because usually people will sort of go like, really? But not so. And so that, that's something I love. And I think, again, it's just it's, it's testament to just how much more significant the whole tapestry of Amon Amarth is than the music alone. Definitely. And I think I, I imagine that you'll probably have, especially after this video comes out, maybe people turning up in Viking kit. Well, you know, it does happen every now and then, you know, does it? Uh, yeah, you go to festivals and people are carrying shields and longhorns around in their uh, little hip harnesses. It's kind of cool, you know, because I mean, if anything, what music would Vikings listen to these days? It's kind of hard to say, but I've got a feeling given what their lifestyle was like that they wouldn't have disapproved of loud music and drinking beer in a field, you know? Um, <laughs> You know, who knows? Maybe maybe that's yet another one of their influences. And, you know, I'm really excited for people to see this video because it all is period dress. It's all happening at a very specific time. And, and I won't give anything away, but there is a time travel element to it all. And, and I think that what's incredibly fun about it all is that there is no irony about any of what is being done. I think that's the definition of metal and the Monomarth. It's just, it's fun, but there's nothing tongue in cheek about it. You know, it, it's just a wonderful escape for people. Um, the video certainly is. And I think for a lot of metalheads, their music is as well. Oh, that's so amazing. And I think that time travel element, even without having seen it myself yet, I think that that is very kind of indicative of what the, the Viking kind of culture is at the moment. People really kind of want to have this representation of what Vikings would have been like now. And I, I think that you're right. I think that um, Amon Amarth is probably a really good representation of that. They probably, the Vikings, if they they were still around, probably would like to to listen to heavy metal and drink beer in a field, like you say. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it, it's something you wonder about. In some sense, you, you know, there, there are modern day Vikings running all over the place, right? You know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, it's funny because people always, you know, will talk about what is authentic, you know, and whatever else. But, you know, if there's anything that, you know, we know about them, is that they they learned and they adapted and they found the best methods for things. You know, they they were not trying to distill or preserve a specific culture, which is, you know, why some of the very problematic groups that, you know, have attached themselves and tried to fuse themselves as culture have got it so wrong. Mm -hmm. Because if anything, what we can learn um, from the Vikings was their adaptability and their openness to change. You know, um, this was not a, a people that were averse or in any way allergic. If anything, they embraced that. And so Maybe they wouldn't be metalheads at all. Maybe they'd be, you know, just just fans of just like the most sophisticated world music or whatever else. It's it's hard to say. But what defined them, and I think what made them so prolific and interesting was that they were learners as well, you know, and and they were practical. Yeah. And so I think it it it's one of the great frustrations, I think, that a lot of people who love all this stuff have is just how frequently it's misinterpreted. And uh, that's always something I think we have to really guard carefully against. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially as we were saying earlier with the sudden popularity of them, we don't want there to be any misrepresentation about their ideologies or anything, as you're saying. Is there anything else you would like to tell us about Amana Martha or about this new video or anything like that? Yeah, well, I, I think I've got to really um, just doff my hat to, uh, well, all the bands who, well, they're all actors in this incredible drama that plays out, but also to Ryan McFall, the director. You know, we shot it all in the UK, it was all very, very uh, high concept and whatever else. And and Ryan is a really visionary 
director and it was wonderful to work as you know the basically the production team for this awesome piece of footage you know because i think he wanted to tell a really tremendous story and that's not an easy thing to do in a handful of minutes you know um pulling all those elements together so as uh, not an acknowledgement alone but as a real tip of the hat he is a director to to look out for for sure and uh, you know i think we're going to be hearing a lot more from him in the coming months and years Oh, that's very exciting. Well, thank you so much, Alex. Where can our listeners find this video once it's released? Just go to monomart.com or indeed just find it on YouTube. It's a, it's a general release and uh, I think they're going to like it. Oh, that's so exciting. Thank you very much. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me back. So we've just finished watching the music video for Put Your Back Into The Awe, and I was really impressed. It was pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really fun. And unfortunately, we didn't find any Viking ships during the Coppergate dig, but a lot of the set dressing and the costumes and everything looked really familiar. It looks like a lot of the stuff that we have here at Yorvik. Yeah, and I think I spotted a few familiar faces as well. Maybe a few have popped along to the Yorvik Viking Festival in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely saw Alex in there. He had a sneaky little cameo, I think, so that was quite a lot of fun. Really? I didn't spot him in there. I better watch it again and see if I can find him. (laughs) (laughs) And whilst they're not trying to be authentic Viking music by any stretch of the imagination, it's fun that like so much authenticity went into the rest of the video and everything. Yeah, and it's quite amazing how many different modern genres the Vikings have inspired, isn't it? Such a wide range of different types of music. Absolutely. And it does sound a fair bit different to the music in the galleries at the Orvik Viking Centre. Yeah, quite a few of our staff are pretty skilled at playing those replica instruments. So do come along to Jorvik and ask us to play a song for you, but not me. I have no musical talent whatsoever. (laughs) To book your tickets for the Jorvik Viking Centre, just visit jorvikvikingcentre.co.uk. Don't forget to rate and review that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show, share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favourite Viking podcast. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Transcripts and chapter markers are available on jorvikthing.buzzsprout.com. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeology. Hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, Ashley Fisher, and Miranda Schmiederer. Produced by Ashley Fisher, sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.